Hello, hello, everybody. Welcome back to another podcast episode. My name is Alec. I'm your host today. Today, we're doing another preview with one of our fabulous UX.com speakers. Her name is Katie Grow. She is a senior UX researcher at a company that you're probably not too, too familiar with, but certainly does some interesting stuff called Rockwell Automation, uh, which I believe is out of Wisconsin. Is that right, Katie? That is correct. Yes. Lovely Wisconsin. Now, I bet it's really nice there in the summer, but I used to live not too far away from Wisconsin, but on the Canadian side of the border. And damn, is it cold in the winter. (laughs) Yes, that's for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Cool. Well, um, we're excited to chat with you today and also excited to hear a bit about your story. So why don't we, you know what, actually, I think it's important to start with like, tell people what Rockwell Automation is. What does it do? And why have they never heard of it before? Yeah, well, first, thank you for having me. So Rockwell Automation is an industrial automation company. We uh, were founded a long time ago on controllers. And basically, the controllers are what kind of control robots or um, industrial big, big machines and such. And so um, we focus mainly on controllers to begin with, but now we're in the software space. So actually the software behind what you program the controllers with, and that's where I really focus a lot of my time is how do our controls engineers and other folks actually program the, the controllers to make those machines work. So, and when we say controllers, we don't mean like your PlayStation controller. <laughs> we mean something a little bit different, right? Yes. Yeah. Very different. So they're, they're kind of like big boxes that go into machines that have all of the information on how to actually use the machine and what it should do. So when it should start and stop and, you know, pour out liquids here and there. So things like that. And, and. When you say pour out liquids, you might be thinking about something like a giant vat of molten iron or something yes. like that. Is that right? <laughs> exactly. Yep. <laughs> We're not talking about like little toy machine, whatever. These are the kinds of, these are the machines of industry. Yes. Yeah. So one way to think of it is like a brewery too. So like, you know, it's looking at things like controlling the vats that are in a brewery and, um, you know, making sure that everything gets mixed in together to make your favorite beer. Sounds super easy. I'm just kidding. That sounds really hard. Um, So now that we know what those things are, it sounds like a lot of these machines are pretty much any advanced manufacturing that you're doing is going to be controlled by a machine like this. Is that right? Correct. Yeah. Cool. So you're responsible for making sure that these things work to some extent in terms of being useful, being usable, being valuable, being the kind of stuff that these people want, right? Yeah. As far as I focus on the software side, so I let other people handle the actual controller side of things. Cool. Okay, we're going to take a pause on that because we just we just have to start with that. Yeah. <laughs> and now now I want to know a little bit about like how did you end up at this giant industrial machine making company that most people aren't familiar with but is critical to all of the luxuries we have in life? <laughs> how did you get there? Yeah, so that's a great question. So I um I started my well, I studied in industrial engineering at UW Madison, and so I was focused, you know, very heavily on engineering side of things. And I industrial engineering at Madison has a focus on human factors, so that's where I really got introduced into UX. Kind of, you know, we did a lot of heuristic evaluations and that kind of stuff in my undergrad, and I really liked it. And I had no idea that you could do UX as a career. <laughs> um, so I went from there to Epic Systems, which is actually healthcare system 
So, you know, when you're doc- at the doctor and they're on the computer typing things away, that's the stuff that, that I was working on. And I was focused mainly on quality assurance there, but they did have usability. So I went and I was a UX analyst with them for a while. And I was, you know, researching that, but I, I really wanted to be an official UX researcher. So anyways, went back to school. I got my master's at, in industrial engineering with a focus on human factors. And that's really where Rockwell is a, it has a big pre- presence in engineering because it is so focused on industrial automation, especially with industrial engineering. I knew a lot about Rockwell. And then I saw that they had a UX researcher role open and applied for it. And it's been uh, wonderful ever since then. So really a great complex field to be working in. That's awesome. Great story. Now we got to talk a little bit more about the actual work. Yeah. So let's start off by doing a brief overview of what you're, hope, what you're planning on talking about at UXRConf this year. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So I will be talking about our preview releases. So because we work in uh, such different kind of industry where our participants aren't necessarily what we would call easy to get a hold of. So they're not people who are typically, you know, looking at usertesting.com or signing up for panels like that. They're very technical focused people. It is a lot harder to get a hold of them and to keep them engaged in our conversations. So we we wanted to create a way that we could create a consistent form of feedback with them without being, you know, a beta testing, you know, because we're we're very risk averse where we are, you know, we don't want to just put a beta um, software out into our participants' programs because it could cause, you know, machines to stop working or something like that, which we would never want. But anyways, so we do these preview releases, which we engage with our customers on a quarterly basis. And we're able to work with them consistently and give them enough context and information around the new software that we're developing without being too leading or biasing them against, you know, some of the you know, giving them too much information about what we're we're actually doing. So we've we've come up with a few different methods within the preview releases to be able to help gather useful feedback for us and also engage our customers in a meaningful way. So I think it's worth like actually digging into like what makes these people like who are these people that are basically your research participants, but you know, aren't like you said, aren't signing up for panels every other day. You know, talk to me a bit about what they what they look like, why they're so hard to get a hold of, why it was basically important for you to kind of invent or modify the method for for how you primarily do research day to day. Yes, yes. Yeah. So they most of the people we work with again are controls engineers or automation software engineers. So they don't have a whole lot of experience, you know, hearing about usability in general. They're usually coming from manufacturing backgrounds. So a lot of the people we talk with have been in the industry for, you know, 15 to 30 years. Like they've been doing this for a very long time. And they will come from backgrounds where they were working as operators on the machines. So, you know, out on the plant floor and then going into, um, you know, learning more about the, the programming behind it and then actually programming the software. So. That's a a very typical journey. And then there's also the journey of people coming out of mechanical engineering or electrical engineering school, and then they go into um, programming right away. So those people might not have the same experience of the being on the plant floor, but they're, again, very technical, you know, 
spent a lot of time in engineering school going ahead and then um, straight into programming and developing these these software. Interesting. So it's it's you have these incredibly technical folks with a lot of deep expertise. Yes. And you're not going to be able to get a hold of them every every other Tuesday for for whatever research you want to do. So this was basically your way of saying, hey, what are the things that we can do that fit into the the product lifecycle that they're used to that we can use to get really powerful and insightful information out of them? Exactly. Yep. Yeah, that's super cool. Do you have any any stories or things that have really kind of stuck out to you over the last couple of years that really illustrates, you know, how different these people are in terms of working with them versus other stuff you've done? Yeah. So I'll say a lot of times what we hear from from the participants is, you know, if it's not broke, don't fix it kind of type of people. So if you can imagine that they, like I've said, they've been using these tools for so many years and we're introducing, you know, some new ways of doing things. And so you'll get you'll get a lot of people who start mentioning things like that, especially at the very beginning of joining our preview releases. But then once they've been with us for a couple of you know cycles of it, they'll they'll start to really see the power of what is this new change and how it's going to help them. So it's really beneficial to us to see that you know in in the beginning when they're they're saying that you know don't don't change the way that my workflow works right now. I like it. To um, you know, wow, this actually does help me get my, my job done. So we have a lot of stories like that, where it's, it's kind of fun to see people's opinions change throughout the whole process. You know, it's interesting you mentioned that. I think a lot of us work on things that are, you know, new tech, new products tend to target early adopters. These are people who are very comfortable with change, very excited about change, excited to try new things. You know, it's not too often that we come across unless you're working in a really large enterprise with like, you know, lots and lots of people working on this stuff where people are actively hesitant, like, hey, this is working for me. Don't get involved. (laughs) (laughs) It's probably a pretty unique challenge to work through. Yes, definitely. And yeah, making sure we craft our questions in a way. Another thing I will say with the participants we're with, it's really being sure that we're not making them feel like we're testing them when we're doing the studies, you know, because they are such experts in their field. We don't want to make them feel like they don't know how to use the tool. We want to make sure, you know, we're testing the software, not you. We want your feedback because if something's wrong, it's the software's fault. So that's a, another big challenge that we go through, just making sure that we're prepping them the right way and working with them to make sure that they can give us that feedback without feeling like we're judging them or anything. Yeah. You know, playing back on that same thing of just like, it's working with a user base that seems quite different. You know, I think it it's, it's not just the people you work with. It's also, it seems like, you know, where you live, like you're in, in the Midwest, right? That's mm-hmm. the Midwest, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay, cool. I, uh, you know, mid, some of these geographical terms in the United <laughs> States don't, you know, Midwest doesn't really look like the middle of the West. It's kind of <laughs> like yeah. upper North anyway. Exactly. Um, <laughs> you know, one of, one of the things that's, that's interesting, it, just culturally there, it's, it's, you know, quite different from the way that you, most people live kind of like if you're in New York City or you're in Los Angeles. A lot of us, I think, are used to doing research with people and in spaces that are quite different from that. You know, and there's not a lot of people, for example, doing research on agricultural technology, for example, which I'm sure if you were to go to like small towns in Iowa <laughs> building yeah. farm equipment, you'd probably have to, you'd probably learn a lot about how you need to modify your research practices accordingly, which is, which is really neat. Definitely. Tell me a bit about when you think about who, you know, this talk that you're going to give who are the people that you think are going to be able to benefit the most? Obviously, 
most people are not going to be working at Rockwell Automation or one of their primary competitors, whoever they may be, if there are any. What other types of folks do you think, or what are the characteristics of the places that they work where they'd be able to benefit a lot from implementing something like this in their practice? Definitely. Yeah. So I think the biggest one would be enterprise companies, right? So if you work at a a big company where maybe they're more risk averse, you know, you don't want to let the software that you're working on kind of go out into the wild too soon. I think this would be extremely beneficial. So again, you know, you want to make sure people who want to make sure that their software is kind of protected a little bit as well. Um, So if you have something that maybe isn't under patent already, or um, something that yeah, you want to you want to make sure that you can have some testing done before it actually goes and is something more like a beta testing. And then I think also for people who are companies that UX is newer to the company, um, right? This is a kind of an easier way to get your product team really involved, your architects or developers really involved, and designers in a way that's a little bit easier than some of the other methods of usability testing because it is, you know, on that quarterly basis, it's it's familiar, it becomes something that you that they're used to. And then kind of we've already discussed it, but people who have users that are harder to find or more challenging to to work with just because they're not as used to giving the type of feedback that we're looking for. You know, I never really thought about how you could actually use this and flip it internally to use it with, you know, folks within your team or within your company, but it, it's it's really neat. And I think this could be like a really fantastic new type of research institution that uh, or tradition that a lot of people could definitely benefit from using. You know, the research reports don't always do it, <laughs> especially when you're working in big, big organizations. Yes. Cool. Well, I'm, I'm really excited for your talk. I think it's going to be fantastic. And it's going to be one of those things where a lot of people are like kind of really into methods and different methods. So this is like a different one. Yeah. This is going to be pretty different from what most people are used to. So this is going to be great. I'll be seeing you in in, uh, New York City in June 6th and 7th. And so for anybody who wants to be among the handful of folks who are going to join live in person, uh, you can grab a ticket at uxrconference.com or you can join us online for free. That's another great option if you don't feel like getting on a plane or taking the subway if you're in New York, I guess. Same place, uxrconference.com. Tell your friends, tell your mom, tell your boss, and let's, let's have a fun time learning together. So Katie, thanks so much for joining and we'll see you in just a few weeks. Yeah, thank you for having me. Take care, everyone. See you next time.